Hello and welcome to Earliest Years of Life. Hi, I'm Zachary Yassin and for the last 15 years I have worked with Bradford's babies, young children and their families. My name's Kerry Bennett and I'm currently working here at Better Start Bradford but my background is in health visiting and children's nursing. This series looks at how babies' earliest months and years gives them the vital tools to help them through the rest of their life. In this episode, we explore what it is like to give birth in a pandemic and what are the challenges families have faced. And what additional support has been given to overcome those challenges. To answer these questions and more, we will take a deeper look at the Babies in Lockdown report, which was released earlier this year by Homestart UK, the Parent Infant Foundation and Best Beginnings. Our guests today are two of the authors of the Babies in Lockdown report. Becky Saunders, child psychotherapist and head of policy and development at Homestart UK. And Sally Hogg, head of policy and campaigning at the Parent Infant Foundation. Also with us today is Noreen Corser, mum of three and an early years professional. Thanks for joining us. So I think it would be a great place to start with telling us um, a little bit more about what the reality has been for mothers and babies in lockdown. Becky, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I think uh, what we've heard from mothers is just um, the combination of changes to antenatal appointments if they're still pregnant um, and changes to postnatal care. So being able to have the support that they might have done otherwise from partners when they're attending scans and so on, or from health visitors, you know, when you've got all those questions that you want to ask when you've got a new baby, as well as not being able to have access to the kinds of social support that they would normally have from extended family and, and from friends. Coupled with the worry about the pandemic, the worry about impact on jobs, or if you've got other kids at home from school. So a tremendous amount of anxiety, I think, amongst parents and certainly what it told us about was, and the thing that came out most strongly from our survey, was the impact on, on mental health and concerns about their relationships with their babies. The other thing is really that this is a really different experience um, for for different families. And so what we've seen all along is that it's that kind of saying that we're all in the same storm, but in very different boats. So for some parents, it has been a great experience in lots of ways. Mums have benefited from dads being at home, the kind of reduced stress from kind of a busy life, whereas others have felt very isolated. They've had concerns about job security and housing and a lack of those services that they rely on. So it's a really mixed picture. And we're particularly worried about those families who went into this struggling, vulnerable with kind of insecurities around housing and income. And for those that have been exacerbated over the last nine months. So Noreen, as a mother of three, tell us about what it's been like for you having a baby in lockdown. I found it hard um, to stay at home, you know, all the time. Miss going mm. to work, doing like weekly shopping. And the most important thing was that I missed like seeing people face to face. Obviously, because I was pregnant, it, it impacted my anxiety. Couldn't sleep at times because I had questions, you know, unanswered in my mind. Then to help myself, I thought, what can I do to help my anxiety? I can't go on like this. So I engaged myself like by doing like online courses. They did really help my anxiety because if not, I don't know what I would have done. I, I don't think I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get myself ready for labour and stuff. I wouldn't have been organised, you know, mentally if if I didn't engage in the courses that I did. So, and, and they kept me busy as well because obviously being at home, you're out of routine, uh, not going to work. I had children at home, so I had to do home learning as well. 
I mean, I, I think in some ways it was, there was good dates as well. Like we could spend good quality time at home as a family. I did the home learning with my other two children. Uh, we did lots of outdoor play in the summer. Um, and then I think that quality time really made us bond together because my husband was mostly at home as well. Um, whereas he normally he would miss out on that. I mean, that fits in really nicely with the point Sally mentioned earlier about how it's been different for different families. Now, um, one of the things that I've I've certainly heard from some of our volunteers and, and mums that I know that live local to me is that it's almost presented a bit of an opportunity to explore like your local area and your local green spaces and make most of that time as well. So it's it's kind of um, it's it's been an interesting time, but it's it's it certainly had some good points as well. Sally, is there anything that we've learned um, from the Babies in Lockdown report about how some communities have been disproportionately affected? Yeah, so Babies in Lockdown does show that families that we would expect to perhaps have more challenges or not to be getting the, the same level of care at normal times are particularly affected by the pandemic. So we saw that families with low incomes, where parents were younger, and those from Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities reported more concerns on a number of measures. So yes, it's definitely a real worry that those who went into the pandemic, perhaps without as many resources or, or with, with challenges they were already faces, have had a much tougher time. One of the things that I think really stood out, and, and our survey was a mixture of, of kind of quantitative data, so the numbers, but also open-ended responses from parents, which were really powerful. Um, and, it, you know, this is what one, one parent said, I'm scared for my child, I'm scared for my partner, I'm scared that my furlough leave is not guaranteed after the 30th of June, I'm scared that if I lose my job, I'll not be able to pay the rent, I'm scared of going homeless and having nowhere to go as the housing organisation is closed, I'm terrified. It's those sort of, you know, the voices of parents speaking about their experiences that really sort of brings to life some of the, the numbers that, that we're talking about and those things that Sally was saying in terms of the differences and the different experiences that people were having. Absolutely. That's so powerful, isn't it? And I think back to, you know, speaking personally about that time of maternity leave and when my first baby was born and how special that is and all those different experiences, opportunities that you you both get and you get as a family as well. And to, to hear mothers telling their story and those concerns and anxieties and fears, it's so, so upsetting, isn't it? To hear that, that some have experienced such a special time in that way. And, um, you know, as Sally said, the impact was different for different families. So um, so we found that it was more than half of those who earned the least, um, you know, on the lowest incomes who said that they were feeling a lot more anxious compared to a third and those with the highest income bracket. So you can see, you know, there's quite a difference in that. And similarly, it was, you know, amongst the youngest. So more than half of respondents who are below the age of 25 reported being a lot more anxious. And ours isn't the only research that's showing some of those differences as well. So there's been some research from a collaboration of universities, including Oxford Brooks, looking at the experience of young children, very young children and toddlers. And that has shown that differences in how parents spend time with their kids have really widened over the lockdown. So things like being able to access open outdoor space, being able to access books, things that we know are really good for children's development and for lovely interactions between parents and babies. Families from lower incomes were more likely not to have access to that stuff during lockdown. Um, and because playgrounds were closed in the first lockdown, the libraries were closed, they couldn't access those things. So this idea of kind of widening gaps is in the Babies in Lockdown report, but it's coming out through lots of other research that we're seeing as well. 
Absolutely. I think reading the report as well, and I'm a health visitor by background and I was redeployed back into the NHS from Better Start Bradford for the first lockdown and seeing it from, you know, the professionals side of not being able to go out and visit these families and the, the concerns that health professionals had about families. But that certainly comes across loud and clear in the report that this shone a spotlight on already depleted services. Would you agree with that as that come through in the report? Yeah, no, absolutely it did. I mean, in the numbers in terms of mums who had babies under two, uh, we found that just over one in 10 had seen a health visitor face-to-face during the time of the survey. But if you look at mums with babies under age two months, that number was only one in five. And, And you think about the importance of those contacts for mums in in being able to raise any concerns and being able to be reassured that baby's okay, being able to, you know, for health editors, being able to give some of that um, reassurance and and guidance and support for for parents and to to notice when things aren't going as they should be or, you know, when mum's uh, mental health is suffering. So Noreen, did you see any professionals during that time um, in the antenatal period? I only attended like my midwife appointments. And I had to go on my own. Uh, couldn't take my partner with me. Through Better Start, actually, they did um, organise, you know, for Caroline, uh, BRI uh, midwife. She spoke to us through one of the sessions, which was really nice because you got to see the hospital. I mean, I, I've already given birth, so I was okay. But for first time mothers, I thought that that really did impact people's anxiety and it must have helped. Because you could see the hospital. If you had any questions, you could face to face ask uh, Caroline and she answered your questions and she gave you most up to date information of the hospital situation. You mentioned there about your partner not being able to go to any of those appointments with you. How did that feel? Yeah, it didn't feel right because obviously with my other two children, he was part of like the journey. So I feel like this time it was. I was, I just felt I was alone throughout the journey up to the labour. And then even in labour, it was at a set time you, you could have your birth partner coming in and then they had to leave, which was, I did miss it, you know, like from previous experience. Absolutely. We know how traumatic labour can be and emotionally and physically, how that impacts on the woman and then not to have that, that support by your partner and your partner not to experience that as well. Um, yeah, it feels, it feels really sad to hear that. And like you say, when you compare to the, your previous deliveries and knowing what that experience could be like compared to what it was this time. One of the other things that we found in the report and, and more broadly, It's just the difference, not only in the number of contacts that people have had, but the quality of those contacts. So when stuff moves online or into a phone call, health visitors don't have the same ability to see what's going on, to understand the context, to detect any cues. It's harder for mums to talk about the things they're struggling with, particularly if they've never met that professional before in real life. And obviously the baby just becomes fairly invisible. If a contact is only a phone call with a mum, then then who is looking at that baby and checking that they're okay? There's a real kind of concern there about just the quality of support that families have got. And for really, really challenged families, we've seen some really difficult outcomes from that. There's been an increase in neglect and abuse of babies. And part of that will be because of the increased pressure that those families are experiencing. But part of it is also that nobody has 
seen them. And I detected those issues early because the families and the babies have been invisible. I was just going to add in there. Um, one of the things that we've seen locally is more of like digital exclusion. There's a lot of families that we work with where that just isn't the medium that is their preferred choice of engagement. So more often than not, they choose not to engage via the Zoom options and any other kind of online options. Is that the kind of thing that you've heard from other parts of the country? Yeah, definitely. So it goes into that whole thing we were talking about earlier about this widening gaps, that not only are some families struggling more, they're also less able to access the support. And that might be because they're not comfortable with digital stuff. They don't have the money for data. They don't have the equipment. They don't have a private space where they can go and talk to somebody. You know, if you're in a domestic violence situation where there's domestic abuse happening in the household and you haven't got a quiet space to go and talk to a health officer, you can't tell them what's going on. So there's lots of stuff going on there that is more likely to impact, you know, families who are already struggling more. Having said that, going back to that earlier message we had about this being very different for different people there have been benefits for that for some families as well so we've heard anecdotes that young families actually sometimes engage better because they're more used to digital stuff and that dads who very often might not feel invited to go to a clinic or to attend a midwife appointment because that's happening on a screen in their own house they're more likely to kind of join in so one of the things we have to do at the end of this is review what's worked well what we can learn what we can take going forward and also be really conscious of those risks and issues and make sure we kind of get over those so it's thinking critically about lots of things in this it's not a single kind of message of this was all good or all bad there's lots of subtleties in there yeah no I'd absolutely echo that and certainly across the home start network I mean that's very much the picture that, that we found in terms of in some places moving to, to working digitally has enabled some parents to access support who might not have done otherwise but I, I think it is really important that we're able to think about both some of the things that we've learned in terms of widening access to support through digital technologies but also what we've lost in terms of not having face-to-face contact. So, for example, in in Manchester, we've done some work uh, at Homestart and Host Holden Stockport and Tameside did some work with Manchester Metropolitan University looking at what makes a good digital visit and really trying to kind of unpack some of those concerns that Sal mentioned in terms of how do you build a relationship with a parent that you've not met in in person? How do you get over some of those those barriers and how do you support parents and support practitioners to be able to be keeping the child in mind where they're not able to, you know, they're not in the home and they're not able to sort of pick up on on what's going on behind closed doors. From what you were both saying there, just locally from Better Start, we've seen some advantages of using digital technology, like you said there about partners sitting alongside the mothers on antenatal Zoom classes, which has been a you know a real positive, but then equally that being less engagement in other areas as we try to respond to the needs of families in these new ways. But like you both said, there has to be a blended approach, doesn't there, going forward? A digital offer cannot replace that going into someone's home and taking, you know, that holistic assessment that many of our professionals do and do so well. But as we were just saying ourselves before we we started recording about actually physically seeing people at these times, how wonderful that is to make contact and have those chats with people. Yeah. And what we're always talking about as well is the need to keep the baby in mind. So there's parents' experiences of digital, but also who is seeing the baby and how are they interacting and you know all of that so there's a need to keep that in mind because very often digital stuff just doesn't work for a baby either the toddler they've toddled off or they're not visible and so that extra dimension of the baby in their own right needs to be brought into the thinking about how we go forward as well. 
Absolutely. So just reflecting on on some of the points that you've both mentioned earlier around mental health being one of the key things that has come through from the report, but we're also recognising that there are intersections and layers of many factors that are affecting the lives of families. Are there any other key themes or trends that have come through from the report that you can share with us? I mean, mental health absolutely sort of came out as the top concern, closely followed, I think, by concerns about relationships with babies, so children being more clingy or or crying more. I think it was something like seven in 10 parents felt that the changes because of the lockdown and the restrictions were affecting their, their unborn baby or their baby. And a quarter of parents were concerned about their relationship. And out of those, a third wanted help with their relationship. And almost half of parents, which was a figure that was striking, had said that their baby had become more clingy and a quarter said that their baby was crying more. And I think, again, I mean, our survey was done uh, back in the spring lockdown, but we are seeing more research emerging. And and a recent report from, from Ofsted, I think, highlighted that children who'd returned to early years settings, practitioners had seen some regression in babies' behavior. So, you know, where they'd been talking or using a potty or, you know, some of those behaviours, they'd slip back. We do need to be concerned about what the impact might be at the same time as recognising that there's lots that we can do to support resilience, you know, both in babies and for parents. So I think it's really important that we're we're kind of alongside parents and recognising their concerns, but we're also thinking, you know, like we do in Homestart or Better Start about what are the ways in which we can sort of build back um, and support parents and build up that resilience linked to that, we've got a kind of difficult tightrope as professionals to reassure a lot of parents who are very concerned about their babies that actually, for most babies, all they need is a good interaction with their parent and the parent would have given that and the baby won't have noticed that their groups and their activities have stopped. Actually, they will be fine and even some of those setbacks will be temporary. But we also know that for some children, actually, they experienced a really stressful time. They didn't get the interaction that they need. And there's a real need for professionals to identify that that family and that child are struggling and to get the right support in there. Because we can do a lot to to mitigate that. It doesn't have to have a, a longer term impact, but they do need support now. So we've got to get that kind of balance right. And that's what's always very difficult talking about this stuff, because actually, we don't want to worry parents who are already worried about the impact that this has had in their child's lives. But we do need to acknowledge that for some families, it's been incredibly stressful. There's been a lot of difficult things going on. And that family, the parents and the child will need help to recover from that. So thinking about those short-term solutions and long-term solutions, let's talk about those more. What were the recommendations from the report? Well, we largely focused on... um, the resources available to the system to respond to this in our recommendations. There's lots of kind of things we could say and have said separately around the use of digital care, the redeployment of health systems, but we focus specifically on resources because ultimately if if a system doesn't have resources, it can't do anything um, to respond well. It needs to be resourced properly to do that. So we talked about three things that we asked the government for. One was a baby boost. So that was a short-term injection of cash specifically to kind of help services and families to recover from the impact of COVID. So um, just as we've seen a billion pounds go into school for older children to help them to catch up, 
um, and I don't really like the term catch up. It's much more about recovery. But but anyway, we wanted a similar approach of funding to go to services and public services and charities that are working with families to help them to make that contact with families, identify those who are struggling and to provide them with the support they need. So that was a short term set of resources. What we also reflected on in the report was that a lot of the issues here aren't unique to COVID. They've been exacerbated by it, but they're not, they existed before. So you talked earlier, Zach, about how services were were kind of depleted and there were issues going into this. So we know there's been real underinvestment in the earliest years and support for families for many years. So we had two kind of longer term recommendations. One was, was just an injection of funding to address that gap. Funding, so increasing our public health grant, for example, so that there's more support for health visiting, so there are a more robust, effective service going forward. The other thing we were thinking very much about was how babies very often aren't on the top of anybody's priority lists. So we've got a system which is very focused on late intervention. So mental health services and and children's services that often intervene once problems are showing in families. And that tends to be often with older children because actually it takes that child to have behavioral problems at school or problems in their learning before the kind of red flags are, are shown. So how can we get a whole system that starts to think about childhood earlier and think about how we support families early rather than wait for problems to emerge? So we proposed a thing called the parent-infant premium, which is a way of delivering funding into the system that is linked to closing early gaps in outcomes and giving every child the best start in life. And this is linked to um, a policy that's been around for a number of years called the pupil premium, which is specific money that goes to schools for them to spend however they see best to help the most disadvantaged children in their population to close gaps in outcomes so that those kids are achieving as well as their peers. And we said, actually, you shouldn't wait till kids are starting school to think about how we close those gaps. Actually, we need to think really early on in children's lives about how they start school on an equal platform and ready to learn. So we should expand that idea of a kind of premium back through childhood and start it before birth so that there is money and a focus in the system for people to think about how do we close early inequalities and give every child the best start in life rather than wait until there's really obvious problems and really quite wide gaps in outcomes and then try and deal with those. So Sally, my follow-on question from that is, um, and I'm sure you will have been asked this before, how much of an investment are we talking about for each of these three um, recommendations that are being put forward? The public health grant has been underinvested in for years. So we're talking enormous amounts of money to get that back up to where it was a few years ago. In terms of the specifics, so the baby boost, we recommended £112 per baby. And the reason for that was literally that it was exactly the same amount that would be given to school-aged children. So we're, again, we're talking about that kind of idea of parity. If the government recognises that that's how much it's going to put in the system for older kids to recover, what would that mean for, for babies? The total amount that that means is kind of getting longer as the longer these lockdowns go on. So originally we talked about that amount of money for babies who were born three months before, during and three months after the lockdown as kind of those who are most affected. But actually... As the pandemic has gone on longer, and we've had more and more lockdowns and we see those going on into next year, then, you know, there's a, there's a much broader group of families that probably would benefit from some of that money. So we're talking about an increasing amount, really. Parent infant premium, again, it's kind of flexible. So we talked about, again, using that sort of same principle of parity that we look at £1,000 per child who is from a family that meets particular criteria that suggests that they're more likely to experience disadvantage just mapping exactly onto what's given to schools for the pupil premium. But there are lots of ways, I guess, of 
talking about what money is needed in the system, we took that kind of parity approach. What is the government putting into the system for older kids and how can we make the case that actually it's even more important to invest that in babies because they're particularly vulnerable and this is a really critical life stage. What we didn't do is cost out exactly what all of the support would need and that might have come up with a different answer. But we were talking about, yeah, so £112 per baby for all babies who've been born this year to recover and then a thousand pounds on an ongoing basis for babies from disadvantaged communities. None of this would go directly to families, I should taste and die. That's a formula for how you'd work out what went into a local area for local services that to then develop a response that best meets the needs of families in their area. That's it. And when you think of the the significant investment in, say, the furlough scheme, and like you said there about the, however we call it, the the catch up for older children, that prevention of our most vulnerable and our youngest in society seems to have have been missed for the lockdown so far. Absolutely, we know that investments when babies are very young and supporting their development and their relationships with their mums and dads helps build those strong foundations um, and saves money further down the line. So it's money well spent, but I think you're absolutely right. Babies have been neglected. This brings great hope to us here at Better Start Bradford because this is absolutely what we're all about here, about that, you know, looking at new interventions, new ways of supporting our most vulnerable, youngest babies and children here locally as well. So hearing this on the national scale as a health visit, like I said before, truly brings hope to um, a profession that is is much needed here in Bradford. And we take loads of inspiration from, from you guys. The Better Start sites around the country are really leading the way in showing what can be achieved if there's extra resource and impetus and leadership and that whole kind of community buy-in to valuing the first years of life. I mean, it's not specific to COVID lockdown that babies were forgotten. It's kind of one of our raison d'etre is that generally, if we look at government policy and government spending, it's very much weighted towards older childhood. The 0 to 5s often are missed out. And within the 0 to 5s, the 0 to 2s are particularly likely to be forgotten about. That existed before COVID and COVID has shone a spotlight on it and exacerbated it. There's a real need for us to have an equal approach to all children in terms of recognising that childhood starts from birth, before birth, you know, that our little babies really matter and and need to be nourished and and cared for. But actually also recognising, as Becky said, that this is a particularly critical period. So we don't want to miss out any bit of childhood, but this is definitely not the one to miss out and not invest in because actually it's so important for children's development to give them the best start in life. And actually, from a purely economic point of view, we get far more from giving children a better start than to try and pick up the pieces if that child has struggled and then needs to call on a lot of services later in life. It seems so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> just, as I think uh, I'm sat here thinking it's just it feels common sense when we talk about you know prevention and investing early and all the things that we talk about. And yeah, this spurs us on to do more and to to have a strong voice to really to raise the profile of this more so um, and what we can do here locally. So Noreen, as a mother of three, we've heard Becky and Sal talk about the Babies in Lockdown report and some of those recommendations about additional funding in baby boosts and a premium to improve things sort of now in the short term and the long term. If that was a reality, what do you think new mums, new families, new fathers need following this lockdown period? Yeah, I think they need to the services back again for it to be all open access so if they've got any concerns they know where to go and solve the problem i think the groups that they used to do before like uh, the baby massage 
the play and stay, like cooking sessions, you know, all them courses in the uh, children's centres, they've, they've like stopped on that because of the funding. Like with my other two children, I remember I went to all of the groups that was available. And in the past few years, I think because of funding cuts, they've stopped. If you've got babies and if you're not working, they are home all the time. It's not going to help their development. If, if a parent's not working, they should be available to go to these groups and sessions. And even for working parents, I think there should be more support as well. I think you're absolutely right there. And we, we know that locally that there has been a lack of that investment in the early years. And like you're saying there, how new mums and families really value that support and those relationships with other families in the same situation. I mean, what I'd really like to know is how do we, how do we here at Better Start Bradford or anybody listening into this, how do we support the recommendations? What could we do individually to kind of encourage and influence some of the thinking around it? We um, have the First A Thousand One Days movement, which is an alliance of charities and professionals who care about conception to age two. And together we kind of lobby for change on this and we produce various campaigning resources and kind of evidence summaries to help people. Because I think there's lots of levels on which decisions are made. If you're in Bradford, you can be talking to your health commissioners and your local authorities about what you see needs to be there for babies and kind of really championing babies in those discussions. And I think actually in Bradford, that's been taken on board. There is kind of quite good leadership across the system for babies. Then you can lend your voice to the national calls to action. So around the spending review, we try to mobilize a lot of voices to call on the chancellor to think about babies. And sadly, again, they were lacking in that. But next year, kind of next autumn, there'll be a big review again of government finances and we'll be doing more work together as a coalition to try and make sure that the babies are featured in that, that there isn't this kind of continued underinvestment in the first years of life. What we're increasingly seeing is that government is led by the public. So so when Rishi Sunak stood up and gave his spending review in November, he said things like, we know what you want, the public wants, and this is what we're doing. I want him to stand up and say, I have heard that people want investment in our children and our future in their early years, and therefore I'm investing in it. If they're going to be led by the public and kind of popular opinion, then we need to change popular opinion to value this life stage. I'm sat here smiling. This I, I wish we could see each other. I'm sat here and, I, you know, the, the, you were missing out on those cues and I want to sort of, I've got my fist. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so with you, Sal. I'm so with you. <laughs> One of the things that has been so valuable over these last few months has been collaboration. So the Babies in Lockdown report obviously was a, a collaboration between Home Start, Best Beginnings and uh, the Parent Infant Foundation and Critical Research who did the survey. But we We've had so much support from across the sector in pushing out the survey and helping us share the findings and coming together to think about how we can work together and collectively um, to raise these issues. And I think to see more of that going forward would be brilliant. And, you know, we're stronger together. And I think, you know, when we have these sort of conversations together as well, we inspire one another. You know, we see firsthand in that contact with families what difference it makes. And I think it's, it's being able to tell those stories, being able to elevate those voices of parents, as Sal said, you know, to shift opinion and to, to get government listening. We've seen great advances in the last few weeks with the um, Royal Foundation 
the Duchess of Cambridge standing up and saying how much the early years matter and the fact that it needs to be seen as a social issue, just like climate change and everybody's responsibility. This isn't just about parents caring about their own kids. It's about all of us caring in the next generation. I mean, I was just completely inspired by watching her. I was like, yeah, you know, if you're talking about that kind of waving a fist in the air, Zach, that's exactly what it's doing. I'm really hopeful that we're not alone in this. There's increasing voices from different spaces talking about just our, our collective kind of attitude to our children and to the early years and how we might start to really value that as a society. Just sort of moving on from that as well about the Andrea Ledsom review that's currently ongoing at the moment. There's been opportunities for us here at Better Start Bradford to feed into that. Obviously, this report will link into that work as well, won't it? Yes, no, absolutely. We've been talking to Andrea Ledsom and the review team, you know, I think all of us separately. Yeah. And we've got another piece of research, um, which is due to come out in the new year, which is also feeding into that review, which is looking at local areas and how they responded to the pandemic. So what we saw was actually there's quite a lot of local variation. So in some areas, services, charities and public services and health and local authorities all got together and really kind of mobilised a response to support families. And in other areas that didn't happen as much. Um, and actually kind of services were pulled in different directions. And what we're trying to do is understand what made the difference there not just to tell a historic story about what happened in COVID, but really to learn from it. And Andrea's review gives an opportunity to say, how do we build back better? How do we take the lessons from this and from what went before and actually use this as an opportunity to really catalyze some change because we do need things to really be different? I think one of the things that is important going forward, because you said just now, you know, we can think of it a bit like climate change. And I think sometimes the scale of the task can be overwhelming. You know, it just feels like there's so much, you know, it seems so common sense, but but how do we achieve change? And I think where we're able to learn those lessons and to, to look at some of the, you know, like the research that's coming out that Sal just mentioned, and to understand, you know, what are the small things that build up to make bigger changes, then it feels more doable. You know, so when we're able to just take those incremental steps or to be working together to sort of, you know, it's like building up building blocks to get to where we want to get to. This is Earliest Years of Life, the Better Start Bradford podcast, and it is now time for the two minute mic takeover. In every podcast, we give our guest two minutes to share a key message on today's topic for practitioners or decision makers. So Sally, you have two minutes for your key message starting now. We're at the end of 2020 and we're looking back at what's been a really tough year. And there's a very difficult story in the Babies in Lockdown report around a kind of depleted system, inequalities and outcomes, and a kind of blind spot around babies in in the system. And we could look back and think about how hard it's been, or we could look forward to the new year and say, actually, there's an opportunity here. This can catalyze change. And it has catalyzed some great innovative working and, and partnership working in many places in order to respond and actually, our task now is to build on that and use this as an opportunity to change things and really make a difference to babies in our country. We've talked a lot about the need to build back better. We don't want to return to normal because for lots of families, normals wasn't good enough. They weren't getting the support they needed and there were inequalities there. We want to build back better and we want to build back fairer so that all our kids have a best start in life. And we we focus the system towards nurturing families so that they're resilient to whatever the world is going to throw at us in future. And we're not picking up the pieces later in life of those problems, but we're creating children and families who have the strong relationships and the support around them to have the best start in life. 
And none of us can do that on our own. It's a big task, but we can do brilliant things if we're all working together. And it was great to work with Best Beginnings and Homestart on this report. It's been great to campaign together with lots of organisations this year. And I know locally, there's been some wonderful partnerships really responding to the needs of babies. And it's through that joint work at the front line with families in our town halls, in our hospitals, in our CCGs and at a national level that will really make a big difference. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to leave this awful year behind us and actually do better in the future. Your two minutes are up, Sally. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely fantastic and so inspiring to talk to you today and has helped motivate us here at Better Start Bradford. So again, thank you for your time. Yes, ditto. It's been really nice to talk to you. And thank you to you both, Becky and Noreen. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Bye. Just starting with the report, it's such a brilliant read from like the um, the visuals in there and the content is so rich and relevant. Absolutely, they're babies there. I know we've got them in front of us today while we've been talking to Becky and Sal and Noreen as well because just seeing the just fantastic photographs, it's a beautiful report, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think if people haven't had a chance to read it, then you know do head over to the, the website and have a look. It's really shone a, a light on to build back better, not to build back what we had because that wasn't good enough to keep striving for better services for better quality services for for babies children and families um so again that reinforces our key messages here and yeah inspires us motivates us to have a strong voice and to really share our experiences of what it's been like as both a professional not being able to do those visits and know that those mums and dads and babies out there exist and not being able to get out and see them then turning it around and what it's been like maybe as a parent working through lockdown as Noreen really spoke um, so real about how it felt being a mum with three young children in lockdown. The other bits that really stood out for me was um, just recognising that we didn't actually enter the pandemic on a fair footing. So it was unequal to begin with. The way in which it's affected the community and the population up and down the country has varied massively. And it also means that the recovery is not going to be identical either. So that whole debate and question around equality and equity and getting it right and building back fairer is, is so important. The solutions that the report puts forward, I think they just put prevention at the centre, at the heart of all the conversations conversations and you know I can see why there's so much passion behind it absolutely absolutely and you start to think don't you about what we could do with that extra baby boost that extra premium what we could do here in Bradford and you, yeah your mind starts wondering of really making a difference for, for those babies and starting to think about you know the the unknown still to come of, of what the challenges that present after a second lockdown a third lockdown and how this COVID is playing out within our community and just just to sum it up, I'd say it's it's Becky's point that's really stuck with me about you know we can't do this alone we're stronger together and you know it's the mantra that we've been sharing in Better Start Bradford but across the ABA sites across England has been giving children the best possible start in life and it's so nice to hear that that is at the heart of so many other conversations that are happening right now. Thank you for listening to Earliest Years of Life, the Better Start Bradford podcast. And please don't forget to hit subscribe and rate it as well. To find out more about how we support baby and toddler development across this part of West Yorkshire, head to betterstartbradford.org.uk. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.